Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all today? I hope that you are well. I hope that you have a sprinkling of love and joy wherever you are in this world and wherever you are listening to me and my guest today. But before I start, I want to say something that is really important and that is that I want to thank all of you for listening and for sending me such wonderful, wonderful messages because really it all makes it all worthwhile, I have to say. From so many countries around the world, I cannot even, you know, I didn't even imagine that this podcast would reach so many people on really, literally, the four corners of the globe. And it's amazing. And thank you. And it makes you really humble in life, for me, at least, in thinking that something that, you know, I have always been a writer since I was a child. And I often wonder, you know, through my life, if you didn't take a certain path in life, would you end up where you are today? And that's something, I suppose, which I talk a lot about and write a lot about, which is destiny. And which path actually do we take in life? Do we actually have a choice or is that something that's predestined before we are put onto this earth? You know, in the spiritual world, do we actually choose? I I heard a story that was told to me by my grandfather is that before we are actually born into this world, we get a book given to us by God and we agree to it. This is the book of our life. And, you know, sometimes when we feel that we've met a person before or we can remember something, but never quite enough, it is because we've actually agreed to it. It's like a soul contract. So nobody we meet is a coincidence. And I think that nothing we ever do is a coincidence. And our suffering, our joys, our tears, our happiness, I think are all part of this journey called life. And some of the greatest souls that go through the greatest suffering have the most beautiful messages of love to give. And I believe that every single one of us has a divine purpose to be here on this earth, for sure. Now, I am absolutely delighted. I'm so excited about having this guest, I have to say, who is the amazing Tony Kelly. Tony is a former 
professional footballer and founder of the organisation Red Card Gambling Support Project, which he will tell you about later. He realised his dream of becoming a footballer at the age of 21. But his football career was marred by an addiction to gambling, which had a huge effect on his career and, in fact, his whole life. His addiction made him leave football at the age of 30, which he says is five to six years too early. And with it, there were huge debts that were built up. He actually estimates that he has lost over £500,000. The impact of Tony's addiction had an effect on his family, friends and relationships as a whole. But fortunately for him, he sought help and support that enabled him to start his recovery in 2013, which is when he wrote his first book, which is called Red Card. This was a process that allowed him to go public with his journey and thus help his recovery. He has now gone on to set up an organisation aimed at educating people from all ages on the danger and impact of problem gambling. And so Red Card Gambling Support Project was incorporated in 2015. Tony now travels throughout the UK, delivering educational workshops to all ages and delivers personal talks on his journey to help raise awareness of this mental health disorder. He has written a second book called Red Card, A Bet You Can Win, which details his full story, including the last eight years of his life to the present day. Today, he shares his incredible story. Welcome, dear Tony. Hi, Mimi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Very, oh, very excited. <laughs> I am. I am. Thank you very much for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure. How are you today? I'm not too bad, thank you. Yes, not too bad. Uh, lots of stuff going on uh, within within the organisation and myself. So, yeah, exciting mm -hmm. times ahead. Wonderful. And, you know, I have to say to the listeners, I was, you know, really happy that Tony could come on because I know that what he does in helping people is something that is so needed at this time because I know so many people with addiction problems and whether that be drugs or drink or food, it can be anything. But really a lot of people who have this secret habit of gambling and this is one of the things that's not so easily seen. It's really almost hidden and that's especially why I'm happy to have you here today, Tony. But tell us Firstly, let's go back to the beginning. How did this all start? Because you were a successful professional footballer to begin with, weren't you? Yes, I was. Um, I think, well, going back to the start, in terms of wanting to realise my dream of being a professional footballer, that started at a very young age, um, eight, nine years old. Um, I'll never forget it in terms of the, the family upbringing. I was brought up in Coventry. Uh, mm -hmm. in the UK and um, yeah the, the 
the uh, um, images of Brazil's yellow shirt, 1974 World Cup, nine years old. I think that's when um, I realised the dream that I want to be a professional footballer. Um, and it, the, the journey of becoming a professional footballer, you know, it's it's different for everybody. Um, there's different avenues that young people or young boys can go down, uh, and girls for that matter. Um, but the general journey is that you will pay for your school team, etc., from 11, um, and you may get a scholarship when you get 16. And that's what happened to me. I've got a scholarship at 16 uh, with Bristol City Football Club. And yeah, I had to leave home. That was that was tough. I had to leave home at 16 and move from Coventry to Bristol to start on my two-year apprenticeship to become a professional footballer. Now, generally speaking, the journey is, you know, for the standard um, route to professional football is 16 to 18 as a scholar. And then when you get to 18, you will then be either released or you'll be offered a professional contract uh, with that particular club. And that's how the, the football journey starts. Now, mine was slightly different because um, I did achieve a, a, a milestone while I was at Bristol City. I became the youngest player to play for Bristol City's first team at 16 and 244 days, which is quite remarkable back then. Um, and it was a record that stood for 20 years. So everybody thought that I was going to obviously get a professional contract at 18 and go on to big things. But unfortunately for me, I was quite, um, I suppose you could say it was quite a little bit of a Jack the Ladder, a little bit of a naughty boy. Um, mm -hmm. so, so at 17, um, I was, you know, I was doing things like going out with the senior professionals. Remember, I'm only a scholar. I haven't made it yet. I'm, I'm partying with senior professionals, going to nightclubs, you know, bringing girls back into the digs where I was staying at, you know, all these kind of things. And that get back to, that get back, back to the football club, obviously, because I was living in digs which is connected to the football club. So they give daily reports on my behaviour, etc. So, yeah, I got, unfortunately, I did get released at 17 uh, without being offered a professional contract. And that was a crushing blow to me in terms of, you know, my dream being shattered. Um, but we talk about overcoming adversity and, and trauma, etc. And I will talk about that again shortly. Um, but I am... Um, I had I had a burning desire to be a footballer, and so I, I went down the other route, which is basically I don't know if any listeners will understand, but there's professional football and there's semi-professional football. Semi-professional football is you could play for your local town, uh, whether it's Billericay, whether it's Dulwich Hamlet, whether it's St Albans, whether it's Enfield, wh wherever you are in the country. Every sort of borough or city has a has a semi-professional football club, and you'll have a job and you'll train twice a week. You'll get two or three hundred quid a week, but you'll have your normal job. Um, so I went down that route and played for St. Albans City in Arbutshire and I was fortunate enough to get scouted at 21 and uh, the dream did come true. And um, I remember telling my girlfriend I got, I got a phone call from Stoke City, Alan Ball, God bless him, he's passed away, the ex-England 66 player. And um, yeah, I was offered a professional contract, three-year contract, Stoke City in the second tier of English football. And so at 21, my dream was realised and I think those four years in semi-professional football are tough because you're, you know, you're coming home from work. You've got to go and train in the evening, twice a week, in the rain, in the cold, etc. And you, but you've got to have a burning desire, and and I had that. And um, yeah, so I was fortunate to turn professional football at, at 21 and sign for Stoke City. My goodness! So ultimately, it didn't matter what happened. You were still brought back to the same point of realizing your dream. Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, and and, and I think um, I, I talk to young people today. There's young players that are released at 16, 17, 18, 
um, from from big clubs, you know, whether it's the Tottenham's, the Arsenal's, the Liverpool, etc. And they can either go one way or the other. You can either, you know, accept that, yeah, it hasn't happened this time, but you can continue playing your football and uh, another opportunity may arise. Or with many of people, like young people I speak to and parents that, you know, they have they have kids that have been released from football clubs at a young age, 16, 17, 18, and end up on the streets and start getting into crime, etc. So it all depends which way you want to go. Uh, if 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 that adversity comes along and, and, and you sort of you suffer heartbreak of, of being released from a football club at a young age. Yeah, I mean, it's not an easy thing, especially if you've put your heart into something for it to come crashing down. But exactly. you you um so you started becoming a professional footballer from the age of 21 until the age of 30 is that right yeah okay and then what happened well um just shortly well i'll just go back three years at 18 Mm. while i was playing for the semi-professional football club which was dulwich hamlet in south east london um while i was playing for that semi-professional football club i moved from coventry to london and i was very shy and quiet. Um, I joined this semi-professional football club. Uh, the players, you know, the 22-year-olds, the three, 23, 24-year-olds, they were having these football bets with the bookmakers, which unfortunately was across the road, Mecca bookmakers, I'll never forget it. And mm-hmm. um, they used to have these football accumulators before, you know, get to the ground a bit early, go across the road, put their bets on and, and, uh, and back into the obviously ground, getting ready for the match. And I, mm-hmm. I, we talk about different reasons why people start gambling. Um, and, and the reasons have, have slightly changed o- over the years. Um, we can talk about advertising and promotion later, but different reasons. And um, I suppose peer pressure is one that people talk about a lot. And for myself, I wanted to fit in. I, I've come from Coventry. This was when London was London. This was London, the Cockneys, the big lights. This was, this was proper London in, in sort of, in my view. Um, and so, you know, you have to be mentally strong. There's a lot of banter within football. Um, so you can get the, the P taken out, taken out of you, et cetera. And I, and I was a very quiet, shy lad at that time. And I, I was looking for a way to, to fit in and, and a sense of belonging and, you know, belonging to a group. So I, I just joined in with these guys having their football coupon bets and having a five pound accumulator. And I remember I had five pound first bet was five aways, five away results on a Saturday afternoon football, um, didn't win. <laughs> I should have told me something, but anyway, mm. I continue that's that was my sort of way in with that with that we call it a click uh, in in the um football world and that was my way of fitting in with that group uh, and feeling more comfortable and feeling more confidence within myself um, and that's how the gambling started so by the time I turned professional at 21 I, I wasn't a gambling addict but I had uh, a gambling problem meaning that it was starting to affect me um mentally I suppose I was using more money. Um, I was working for the electricity board. I was starting to use money out of the wages, uh, getting to certain situations where I may I may spend my whole wage for the week and borrow money. So little things were creeping in uh, that were, you know, attributed to the, the start of my problem gambling. So by the time I turned professional football, obviously I had a lot more money. Now I will say that it doesn't, it's irrelevant whether you're a university student, whether you're on universal credit or whether you're a professional footballer or a banker or a lawyer. Um, everybody in, in, in any status, background, uh, gender, whatever it is, uh, can get addicted to gambling. So it, I just happened, it just happens to be that I was a professional footballer and I was earning a lot of money. But with that comes, I suppose, 
the bigger the big the, the layouts are bigger and the losses are bigger um and they can grow and they can escalate and i think from the time i signed for stoke um the gambling did escalate um i was obviously putting big bets on and then i was i think i was probably one of the biggest sort of turning points or triggers in terms of how the escalation started to be a bit more rapid was um when i was introduced to the casinos by the players um back then the casinos were i suppose you could say the in thing in terms of people with money um and i would i would spend a lot of the time in the casinos uh, a lot of big losses in the casinos back then training was probably 10 to 1 um these days obviously they're, they're generally four days and gym sessions and all that stuff obviously times moved on professional football but then it would be 10 o'clock to maybe one o'clock half one i'll be out the door and the first thing i'll be doing is going to the bookmakers spending their afternoon in the bookmakers in the evening i'll be going to the casino so at this point you know it's a, it's a strange thing gambling addiction in terms of how it how it gradually creeps up on you you're not mm -hmm. quite realizing what's happening um you know you're spending a lot of money you know you, you you're you're um, building them out of debt. Um, but I've said it many times before that once you start on that journey of gambling and it starts to consume you uh, and grips you, it's very, very, very difficult to stop. And so, yeah, over that, from that period onwards, um, throughout the football career and the six clubs that I played for, uh, the gambling had, had obviously turned into a compulsion and turned into an addiction. Now, I want to ask you something. It's something that, um, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but mm. what interests me is in any compulsion yeah. is how did it make you feel? You know, I'm always um, listening to people and clients of mine, but there is a buzz mm. in any type of addiction. What is this buzz that is within this gambling treacherous world? Yeah. What was it for you? What is it that spurred you on to keep wanting to spend money? What what was this that kept pulling you that way? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question because uh, there there is whether whether um, it's a strange thing because gambling whether you're sitting at a casino roulette table and and having a drink and sandwich or whether you're in the bookies with your mates um, gambling it's a uh, the, the social side of it, the social element side of it is, it's, it's enjoyable. You know, e even though you're, you're losing lots of money, the, the sort of anticipation for the next day is the next day, you know, the next day will be better. The next day I'll, I'll win. You know, I, I remember having the feelings of going to the, getting into my car and driving to the casino, but that buzz and that adrenaline rush I'm getting when I'm on my way to the casino, I've got all kinds of thoughts going on in my head in terms of, I'm going to win 10 grand tonight. It's going to land on my number. These, these are the kind of feelings I'm getting. And it, and it is a real buzz buzz and an adrenaline rush. Um, I know the psychotherapists and the therapists talk a lot about um, the relation, relationship between, you know, the biological side, the neuro side in terms of the, the, the dopamine rush. And, and that's mm. obviously true um, because, you know, you once you're, on, once you're at that table and you're gambling, you know, you you – you you can't stop and it's a strange thing because even if, even when you're up you want more so even if i've lost two thousand pound and i get level i don't it's not a question of oh i'm level now i walk out you want more and it's that adrenaline rush and that dopamine rush that that keeps you going and keeps keeps that um continuous behavioral pattern 
would you say that um, you have an addictive trait? Is it that we all have we we're all able to have an addiction mm. given the right or wrong circumstances, so to speak? Is it something? Is it like a sort of a switch in your head? Because I have a friend, mm-hmm. and she's a gambling addict, yeah, and she said to me that when she plays scratch cards yeah and when i say to her why are you spending so much money like 300 pounds a week on Mm -hmm. scratch cards she said i'm proud when i win i'm proud but she only ever bloody wins 10 pounds you know it's just nonsense but it's this sense of achievement so you didn't you didn't need the money did you or did you yeah, I think by the by by the time by the time I'd um, signed for Stoke, I, I wasn't I wasn't in um, I wasn't in massive debt or or anything like that. Mm. Um, so obviously, I had a really good salary. So yeah, I suppose you could say I, di- I didn't need to gamble. Yeah, yeah, um, but, but it's it's like after three having gambled for three years before I signed um, signed for Stoke as professional footballer. Uh, it's like I suppose you could say that the. the um, the seed was planted, um, so I, I already had a had a feel of enjoyment about gambling. So from that eighteen year old um, gambling for those three years before I turned professional footballer, um, the, the seed was sowed. I was I was already enjoying gambling and enjoying you know going to the bookies and putting football bets on and betting on the horses. So it was it was like like people say generally it starts out as as a bit of fun, um, but mm. it's, it's it's how it escalates and that's when. That's when it becomes dangerous. I mean, you. I've got friends that will have a bet, you know, maybe once, twice a week or whatever. Uh, they will never, ever, ever encounter gambling harm. And there's, mm. and there's millions of people like that because we own, in the UK, I think six, seven million, whatever it is, there's only approximately a million, 800,000 gambling addicts. Um, now, if you, if you take that in proportion, you know, there's millions of people that gamble in the UK um, and I suppose everywhere else, but will never in, encounter gambling harm. And that's and that's the that's the thing you, I try and work out in my head. Why why is it they don't ever have a problem? Why can they spend go to the casino or yeah, night? Yeah, they yeah. can go to the casino now with friends, mm-hmm. spend two hundred quid, so no problem. They won't be back there again for six months. Fine. Yeah. Turning it on its head, so to speak. I mm-hmm. um, have a friend, and she deals with um, people with addictions, but she does it on a completely different level. And Mm. she looks at it on a sort of a more spiritual level. And she said to me, if you go to a nightclub, if you go to any type of place where there is the possibility of addiction, because she's quite um, a seer, you know, she can sort of see things in a different perspective. And she said, people's souls are really crying out. And it's a way of actually suppressing something else. Because when you look at someone who is an addict, whatever, you could be addicted, you know, to anything. Anything, Um, There is a certain, there's an imbalance in all of us. That's what I believe. I think we all have issues. And, you know, some of those issues, as you said, you know, what can, why can someone play a scratch card for two days a week and not be addicted? And someone has to spend, literally a few hundred or a few thousand pounds a week um, on it. I don't know, but I do think there's a deeper level because it must be something um, in the psyche, surely. 
Because I know, you know, I know you're a Christian, Mm. and I know that you look at things obviously on a far deeper level. There Mm. must be, mustn't there, Tony? Something in the psyche, or a certain temptation of Mm. a dark force that pulls people to that side. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I know we're all in the gambling sector, in the gambling world, in the uh, psychotherapy world, therapist world, we're all trying to work out and get that answer. Um, in terms of um, psyche, um, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily one of them that believe in, you know, whether people have got an addictive personality. Um, but one of the things that, the, that therapists do talk about in terms of any addiction, um, particularly talking about gambling addiction, is that a lot of these addictions stem from uh, childhood trauma. Mm. Now, um, I've heard that said a lot, so they're, 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 uh, I do believe there possibly is some truth in that, you know, whether you was abused or whether it was bullying or whether it was substance issues, issues within the, within the home with parents, uh, going mm. into care, all these um, traumas that have happened to a thousand and thousands of young people from, from 9, 10, 11 years old. Now, I had <laughs> the perfect childhood. This, this is the thing. I've got five brothers and a sister. Mum and dad were together 40 years we have an absolutely amazing family. To this day, we were out meeting each other together um, and didn't want for anything. Hence why my dad was always able to take me training every single week, never wanted for anything, boots, kit, anything. So I had the absolute, absolute perfect childhood. So it's just, it's just strange how there hasn't been any trauma adversity in, in my life as a child. So, yeah, so. I mean, it, it, it is a fascinating subject, although... It is treacherous. It really is treacherous. And it's something really, I think, that within all of us, we have this capability of hitting rock bottom. I think we're all walking that fine line between Mm. sanity and madness. I always say this because I really do believe that, you know, the human mind is a a funny old thing. But tell us what happened. Um, So you got to a point in your life where you write about it is that you lost over five hundred thousand pounds which is half a million pounds yes tell us a little bit about that so um when i was at stoke as i said previously that the debts were starting to mount um and i always say to people that generally speaking when people talk about gamble addiction in general uh the first thing that comes to mind is losing money and it's and we have to realize and i have to really stress that it's not just about the money there's lots of other issues that were going on uh i borrowed money off every single member of my family um and that's everybody uh we we, you know we talk about it today but i've got a supportive family uh so you're involving the family dynamics and and as we call affected others you're 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 affecting your family and friends borrowing money off friends and then obviously with a lot of my friends you know the phone will stop ringing uh, and they'll stop picking up the phone because they know it's Tony asking for another fifty pounds. So I'm having now, and now I'm having an impact on friends. I'm having an impact on family, um, it's, and I'm having an impact on the clubs I'm playing for because a lot of the time, uh, mentally, I'm not focused on football. So if I had a, well, not if <laughs> the amount of times I had a bad day in the bookers on a Friday, and I've got to go and play in front of fifteen, twenty thousand people on a Saturday afternoon, my mind is elsewhere. Uh, so I'm, I'm letting supporters down. I'm letting my teammates down because. You, you may as well say you're playing with 10 men for that day. Um, I'm thinking about accumulators and is my horse coming in in the three o'clock at Kempton? So these are the kind of things that are going on in your head. Uh, for some people, for some sports people, it can be a form of escapism. 
Um, so they're, they're, you know, when they get on a football field or, or a cricket field or a basketball court, you know, they, they can they can uh, play to the best of their ability, even though they've got an addiction, because that's their escapism. But for me, uh, mentally, it, I suffered um, sleepless nights, obviously fell into some kind of um, depression in terms of getting medication. Um, we talk about GPs not being educated, but that's another story. So I was just given tablets for depression, even though it was it was mm-hmm. a, my gambling addiction. Um, so yeah, the, the mental health side of it is huge, um, and obviously affected others. So those two things uh, culminated in, in me racking up uh, over. Well, by the time to come 2010, I know we've gone forward a bit, but 2010 is when I had a bankruptcy file of a hundred ninety-two thousand pound, which was 32 creditors from payday loans to credit cards to loans, um, you name it, pawnbrokers, everything, all kinds of creditors, and uh, and that's because obviously. You know, unfortunately, as a gambler, as you're going along on this journey and 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 you're you're suffering from addiction, you are what we call in the in in the sector chasing your losses. And so, as I said before, I'll put bigger bets on to try and get myself even or to try and pay them the mortgage or those kind of things. Uh, and mm-hmm. you're digging yourself a deeper hole. And that's what was happening over that nine year period as a, as a professional. It's just debt after debt repossessions until, unfortunately, when I finished football, as I said um, before. Football, I finished probably, well, not probably, definitely five, six years too early. Average mm. lifespan of a footballer is 36, 37. Um, because, you know, other clubs didn't want me. They were, they they knew about my sporadic form. They knew about in and out the team. So, you know, they couldn't trust signing a player that, you know, maybe play, fit to play once, once a month. So my career was over by 30. Um, the bankruptcy file, I had the house repossessed. Uh, which is why I accumulated to over half a million pounds because with the with the, obviously the salary in the house it all it was all gone. Um, yeah, so it was a, a huge huge impact financially and a huge impact uh, mentally and, and emotionally in, in all different kinds of ways that gambling addiction affects you. And it's a bit of a secret. I know I know a lot of addictions are secret, but somehow gamblers are able to keep it from what I've seen a secret in a much easier way until it really hits to the point when it all comes out and there's thousands owing um because of the behavior is not so evident is it as with drink and drugs and exactly so yeah. how did you manage to keep it a secret or was it an open secret so to speak um no but it wasn't it was only an open secret um what it was my family uh, particularly I've got a twin brother he was probably the one the closest one that knew really most things that were going on um, but in terms of all the debts and the loans and all the and all the debt that was accumulating you know I was able to keep that secret um, the biggest thing of in a gambling uh, addict's psyche is the denial factor and we mm-hmm. stay we we stay in denial for for years and years and years and I like you used the term earlier about rock bottom. And generally speaking, when we're talking about gambling addicts, that is when when they will seek out when they reach rock bottom. Um, obviously, there's there's um, other issues to consider in terms of reaching rock bottom, which which obviously is is ultimately suicide, which is a big big part of gambling addiction today. Um, but I I managed to keep it a secret and I never spoke to any managers of the six managers I played for. I never knocked on the door or. You know, well, I never knocked on a door to open up about my gambling, but I did knock on the door to ask for a sub. 
uh, for that month or whatever. But mm. the question was never asked, and, and I don't I don't lay any blame any anyone's door about intervention. That that it, it wasn't gambling addiction was just the norm back then. So um, they never asked a question or anything like that. But yeah, um, it's it's a it's a secretive addiction. It's a selfish addiction. Yeah, and you and you are right. You don't. There's not. There's no visible signs. You know. Mm. When you walk into a football club and look, you know, or, or any individual, it's very difficult. Well, you wouldn't know if they're a gambling addict, but, you know, there are there are visible signs uh, when it comes to drugs and, and alcohol. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's that's the big difference. And so to speak, I mean, when did you hit rock bottom? When was it for you that you actually admitted that you had a problem and yeah. were courageous enough to ask for help. Yes, well, uh, so I finished football at 30. I uh, joined Net- Network Rail um, and worked there for 10 years, still gambling, um, still having all... I, I had the, the bankruptcy in 2010, so the bankruptcy, 192,000. Um, I think when I... when I, I remember there's a, there's a piece in the book where it talks about me and my brother coming out of the High Court in London, um, in 2011, uh, have, having just filed for bankruptcy and, and having my 192,000 pound debt wiped out. Uh, yes, that 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 was a big weight off my mind in terms of you know bailiffs and debt letters and phone calls and all that going away. Um, but obviously, there, there's detrimental and there's negative consequences to going bankruptcy. Good, good to go in bankrupt. Uh, but it was a start. Um, and in terms of how how I how I felt in terms of feeling rock bottom and feeling right this is it this is where I need to change this is where I need to make a difference this is where I need to sort my life out basically it was a it was a culmination of two things really one was the start of uh writing my book uh red card in 2013 um once I started to write that book uh, I sort of made a constant conscious decision uh that all the guilt and shame that I've been feeling over the years uh with family and friends in particular uh, was going to come out in public. Um, I was going to, I made a decision in my mind um, where that decision came from, I think is related to uh, faith, which I'll tell you how that started in, in a second. But I managed to to say to myself, right, I'm going to go public. Uh, I'm going to put it this way. I, I, I didn't know how to write a book. I'm, I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not a, a trained <laughs> author or whatever. I wouldn't know where to start, but somehow with my trusted biro and uh, A4 paper, I wrote a couple of chapters to my um, sister, who's a head teacher. Um, and she said, look, just write a buggery from nine years old, grown up in Coventry, et cetera, being a professional footballer, stories about professional football and, and obviously through the gambling addiction. So that was the start in 2013, putting my story to print, knowing that um, it's going to go public. Um, and that means that everybody... Uh, family and friends are going to know my whole journey and that is a scary thing that is a scary mm. thing to think that you're going to go public with something that thousands of people that you know don't don't know and I wanted to get it out there I wanted to particularly my, my family and extended family to let them know what I've been through um, and also to to help raise awareness um, and really to yeah to get the story out there and so when I went on national TV on BBC Breakfast after the book was um, published, that was when I, I saw, realised, you know, this is this is a new calling for me. This is going to be a new journey. Um, so that's that's when I hit rock bottom in terms of, you know, starting to, to write my book and, and coming out in public and starting on a recovery journey. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's different for everybody in terms of how people recover. 
Um, and I'll just go back to the, the, the bank was in 2010, 11, and, and tell a, a story how the phase started. Please mm, mm, do, yeah. Yeah, because in that year, it was a very pivotal year. Um, the bankruptcy was, was just filed, 2010. Uh, my 20-year relationship was breaking down. Uh, obviously, I had these debts still, but uh, my life was a bit of a mess. And I was working for Network Rail alone in a signal box um, in northeast London. And it was a quiet Sunday afternoon. And no trains are due. You work alone. You don't get any visitors. <laughs> Uh, you're not you're not you're not um allowed visitors based unless it's regional manager or something and i um had a knock on my signal box door and there was a gentleman there 50 plus and um he said that he's from the he is the network rail local chaplain so i said to him well i've been here 10 years and i've never had a visit from a from a network rail chaplain and uh so he showed me his id um and that was fine and uh let him in and he had a brand new bible with him and we sat down for two hours. Uh, after about five minutes, he wrote out a um, prayer, which obviously I now know was a salvation prayer. And we read that together. Um, now, this is the bit where I want people to understand this. It's, it wasn't a case of that. Yeah, you know, we talked about hope. We talked about my life. We talked about where I've been, um, where I want to be. Uh, a few scriptures from the Bible. And it wasn't a case of when he left my life's going to change and everything's going to be rosy. It wasn't like that at all. But what happened is after he left, uh, I continued at Network Rail and continued working, et cetera, still gambling, but not so heavy because obviously the, the bankruptcy meant that I couldn't get credit because it stays in your credit file for six years. So I wouldn't be mm-hmm. able to get credit and that was fine, but I was still gambling. And um, and then, then it culminated in, the, in that 2013, the, 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 the strength and power and courage to be able to write that book because I remember thinking when the book took 18 months and having this manuscript so high uh, on A4 paper thinking to myself how did this happen Um, and then when I got 15 copies of the book sent to me in the post uh, by the publisher and then realizing this is out now on Amazon etc again I pinched myself and thought you know there's there's something more going on here because I never thought in a million years that I would become an author and then the thought of having this mindset to set up the organization not coming from a business background whatsoever in terms of getting people on board in terms of you know directors governance all the things that come with set up an organization they they, <clears throat> they seem to come to me naturally it's hard to explain, but it did seem to mm-hmm. come naturally. It wasn't something I had to like really fight hard to understand. Um, and then more and more people were coming into my life uh, from all different aspects. And so all of a sudden I had this support network around me that w- were saying to me, you know, your story is powerful. You need to share this story and you need to, you know, educate. And, uh, <clears throat> and, I, ha- and I had this passion for education. Now, the first, the first, in 2015, stroke 16, we had the first gambling awareness event held in Enfield in my borough. And the very, very first one for Red Car, the very first one we set up. At, and what happened, we were thinking about a venue. Um, and this is where I, I talk about the connections between faith, myself and God. And we, we were thinking about connection. I mean, sorry, venues. And someone says, someone from the team said, you should contact your local church. So I contacted St. George's local church in Enfield. And uh, I went down there <clears throat> with a copy of my book. And uh, Father Tamer's house is situated literally next door to the church. 
And we went in into his house, met his two kids and wife, and we sat down and, and Father Taylor just fell in love with the project. And he said, this is amazing. Um, he praised me for the book and he said, right, you know, you can have the hall for free. It's normally £500. Um, we'll do everything for you. We'll set it up. We'll give you a donation. Um, we're just going to support you on this. And, you know, it, wow. <laughs> we held the talk, the you know, open event, parents, everyone came, 60, 70 people for the first one is decent. And uh, we held it in the church hall. And that culminated in me in that church becoming my place of worship. So me and Father Taman built up a relationship um, and I used to talk to him in depth about God and wanting to understand more about my Christianity and about faith and how I regain my faith. Um, and obviously he's telling me this, this is a calling for me. This is what God wants you to do. You're here for a reason. And that became my church. I, I worship at once a week. Um, and that culminated in June the 8th, 2017, when I um, was baptised at the church uh, with, with my family there. So it's just... It's How hard. wonderful. Oh, wow. Yeah. My uh, goodness. How did you feel? I, I don't know. I just felt... Um, I felt as though um, there's lots of building blocks that God's putting in place. Uh, oh, that wow. I felt like this is something that, you know, I, I'm meant to be doing. It's something that, that it's my new new journey in terms of recovery. And so the, the four years from, from the time I've been baptised, the four years to today, lots, mm-hmm. of, lots of other doors have opened. And I know that God's, you know, by my side. So, for instance, as an example, <clears throat> after, that, um, after that first event, my first personal uh, public speaking event was, was held in Coventry in a hotel uh, for a Black and Asian business gala dinner. Now, I had a friend, the book had just come out. Uh, she called me and said, oh, you know, your book's just come out. Everyone's excited. Um, we're, we're, can you do me a favour? And um, she said, can you um, just, uh, you know, we're a speaker down. Could you just spend 15 minutes on, on sharing your journey? They'll love it, et cetera. 250 people, black tie dinner do. And uh, when she said that, um, because I haven't done no public speaking in my life, um, my heart sank a little bit. And I thought, wow, how can I, can I do this? And something, again, something said, just go and do it. So when I'd done this talk for 15 minutes in this hotel um, in front of 250 people, um, it was the impact of that talk. It was how it resonated with so many people in the audience. It was the talks that I had afterwards with, with the attendees in terms of, you know, women coming up to me saying they keep finding their dad's betting slips in the bin, etc. There was... Mm-hmm. T- Family, family stories going on, family dynamics going on in terms of people gambling within the family. And then I started to realise how big gambling addiction is. Um, and so I, I whether, whether you call it a gift uh, from God, but I had this uh, passion and this confidence to be able to go out uh, publicly to venues and talk about my journey. And I, and I love doing it. You know, I absolutely love doing it. Um, and again, it's part of the building blocks that in my opinion that god has put in place for me that this is this is what i'm meant to be doing incredible really and it always sort of reinstills my faith in the fact that if you are meant to be doing something you know god will pave the way for you and send everybody and everything in its perfect timing because in a way you're doing god's work by helping people that are destitute yeah, exactly. It's God's work. I, I work through God. 
I mean, um, when we talk about yeah, you know, little things when when we talk about faith. So, for instance, when I started on uh, opening uh, setting up the organisation, obviously as a CIC company, a community community interest interest company, um, we rely on donations. We have to get funding to remain sustainable and all those things. Um, but when I the first couple of funding applications for ten thousand pound from from the lottery um, for good causes you know having a couple of rejections <clears throat> and you know because what whatever is wrong with the application i might not have ticked the right boxes or might not uh, have the governance set up all right etc but it, I, I never i never felt like oh you know this this ain't worth it this ain't gonna work you know i always felt like keep the faith keep the faith you know god's paving the way for you he's testing you how much do you really want this how much do you really want to go out and educate people and then obviously mm-hmm. you know the, the funds start to drop um yeah and it's, it's the fruits of your labor that god produces but you, you know he gives you the tools but you've got to use them um yeah, to yeah. Get the best of your ability and that's what i try and do always trying to develop mm. now you do workshops tell us a little bit about the workshops that you do yeah yeah so we started out um initially 2000 we, we probably became active i'd say 2017 onwards when we started to go into schools because we have a belief that early intervention is key in terms of um, gambling addiction um possibly for most addictions but i think early intervention is massive so yeah, we yeah. wanted we wanted to get to educate people from well, people young boys and girls from 11 years old at secondary school so once we started getting into some schools and started to realize uh, the impact of our workshops we're having and talking to the teachers and you know realizing that that young people are getting into gambling and gaming uh the two are there's a correlation between the two um so gaming in terms of virtual gaming whether it's fifa or fortnite or call of duty or whether it's uh adult gambling or online gambling so uh once we got the feedback and evaluation forms from i think it was about 1500 students that we done in 2017 to 19 that's when we realized wow you know we're, we're making a difference here um, and then we decided, right, gambling addiction, there's a bigger picture in terms of it can happen to anybody and everybody, uh, whether male or female, as I said before, background status relevant. So we started to sort of broaden our, our scope in, in terms of delivery and uh, we delivered to mental health trusts, to rehab centres. I remember we went to Nottingham in 2018 to a rehab centre uh, of drugs and alcohol. And um, what we found from that was you know through the guys that attended through the staff through the service users was that you know i think it was 30 percent of the of the guys in that rehab center their drugs and alcohol stemmed from gambling addiction so then we started to realize that there's a lot going on here in terms of cross addictions um and so yeah we deliver to any organization we've got different workshops booked up in the next few weeks at different venues uh, schools and other organizations so it's about educating on all aspects of, of gambling harm uh workshops it's not obviously like i said before it's not just about the the money it's about all the other issues whether it's crime whether it's homelessness uh, whether it's domestic violence whether it's online gambling whether it's women gambling <laughs> i could go i could go on and list there's think, so many things yeah, aren't there that become so many, as a result yeah they're yeah. all interlinked and that's what people are starting to realize we came back from oldham two days ago oldham in north mm-hmm. manchester and delivered to 175 kids and um when we spoke to we got the reference back from the teacher which was amazing the next day 
and and, and you can you can see now how, how people are starting to respect gambling addiction and starting to realize that you know this is bigger than we think and and it's growing so that and that's what we need we need to open up the conversations because there's still you know i've said it before there's still a little bit of stigma and shame attached to talking about gambling bit of a t- taboo subject i mean i could be talking to just people in the pub and just having a chat about gambling and um they might say what are you doing and when i say tell them what they what i do i can see i can see in their, in their in their eyes and face that it's either them or someone they know that's 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 got that's gambling um and then, but they, but they, they don't really want to talk about it too much um and that's where yeah we've got to we've got to be open and honest and and open up those conversations and, and say gambling addiction is a mental health disorder it's recognized by the who you know um by the DC, dcms so yeah we know it's, it's a it's a huge huge um mental health disorder and is it something tony that was an eye-opener for you you know because it was it is something you know as we spoke about that is usually kept secret as to how many people are actually affected by it yes definitely 100 <clears throat> and i think the, the reason uh, to put a point on how um i realized how big it, it was on, on a broader broader scale that, uh-huh. that that came home to me when i joined uh, i was offered i was offered to join the gambling commission um into well just before pandemic the contract finished on january this year 2021 i worked with the gambling commission for nine months in an advisory role with 15 other what we call lived experience uh guys and girls yeah so there was three women in the group and when we have these consultations which was twice a month with the gambling commission and our job was to advise the gambling commission in terms of regulation and what needs changing the gambling commission for those that are listening um is the regulator for gambling in the uk and we 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 want to put things forward to them recommendations of what what needs to be done because you know as, as lived experience um guys that suffer gambling harm we we want to see change and and uh you know reduce gambling harm in this in the uk and what brought it home to me was i thought my story was you know let's let's okay let's be honest it, it is horrendous but unfortunately i've come up the other side um but when you hear when i heard the other 15 guys stories you know everything from two of them going to prison for five years uh for fraud to to the, the parents oh yeah to the father i can't mention names but to the father who who's, was in the group who lost his um son at 23 year olds to gambling addiction so when I hear these stories, that's when I start to realise, wow, this this has an impact on on just thousands and thousands of people in the UK um, in all different kinds of ways, but all horrific and uh, real negative consequences. It is horrific. And I think that one of the main things of anything that's horrific is that we have to shine a light on it. Yes. Otherwise, people don't know about it. You know, if someone is a gambling addict or knows someone that's a gambling addict, no one really knows, I suppose, or they're too afraid. As you said, it's, you know, it's always shrouded in shame, any sort of addiction. But if we can talk about these things more and encourage people to share their experiences so that they can get the help that they need, I think that goes in a long way in to helping people to recover, don't you think? yeah without a shadow of a doubt i mean it's one of the things 
I'm working on a project at the moment for the for the diverse communities, Black, Asian, other diverse and minority communities, where we are trying to do exactly that. Because within certain communities, gambling addiction is not talked about and, and is hidden and kept a secret and the taboo subject, particularly in, if you think about the Muslim community where gambling is forbidden, if you think about the Caribbean community or my community, um, you know, we we don't talk about it. There's that shame and stigma. I've got, you know, friends, I've got um, brothers who's got friends in those communities where they they shy away from talking about gambling um, and, and their issues that, that they're going through. Uh, and so I'm sort of within, <clears throat> I suppose, the Caribbean community in the UK, because I've, I've been in this sector for six years <clears throat> and I very, very rarely, probably two, I think, uh, see anyone of, of colour of the Caribbean community that, that is openly uh, publicly talking about gambling addiction because it just doesn't happen. So I'm trying to be a role model and a face and a voice to get more mm. people to talk about it because, like you said, highlighting the issue uh, can only lead to open conversations and that can lead to change. And that's where we are, not just in those diverse communities, but in all communities. It's true because I think as with any sort of mental health illness, whatever it may be, while it's um, hidden, while you know you're keeping it a secret as a person, it's more it sort of it's more difficult to embrace the healing aspect of it because you can't get that help anyway. You don't want to admit it to yourself, but you know if someone just said to you, you know, how are you feeling today? And you said, oh, I'm fine. You know, but if you sort of communicate to someone on their level, so to speak, and say, well, actually are you really okay? You know, that they feel the trust because trust is a huge um, element in progressing forward, Tony. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's, it's how you approach those conversations um, and get, yeah. get, getting people to trust you. I mean... Um, how do you do that? I think, I think you, have to, um, you have to be honest, really. I think you, you have to be really... Um, authentic, honest, transparent, you know, to, to, to anybody you're talking to about gambling, whether it's uh, family and friends, whether it's people that you're educating. So when I go into a school or organisation, you know, I make sure that I, I tell them for real how it is and, and, and also, you know, explain to them. I think that the recovery journey sort of inspires people to know that, okay, um, Tony's been down this journey. Uh, look at him now, and there might be someone listening who's got a bit of a gambling problem, but realizes, okay, um, there is, there is a way out. There is support out there. Obviously, we do, we do all the signposts and etc., and make sure that people know where to access support and get help. Uh, and I think, yeah, it's, it's having those conversations to let people know that you know it, it's not all is not lost. You know, you can come out the other side. Um, yeah, and, and with my community, I think they resonate. If, if someone that they resonate with, um, that that's relatable to them. Um, I think that's where the trust from that side of it comes in because they're listening to somebody from their community uh, that has been through you know, and walked in the shoes of gambling addiction and they can trust that person and listen to that person. It makes a huge difference. I mean, you know, when you're little even and you know someone's from your school, so mm. to speak, you always feel more comfortable than someone that's from another school you yeah. know it's somehow yeah. it's it's yeah. comforting it's more comforting now and i think also on the, on, yeah. the, on the young people side i think um one of the i suppose you could call it an advantage in some way 
is uh, my football background helps young people engage with me. So when I, you know, we, if the teacher will always say to me, oh, the kids are looking forward to you coming in, the footballer. Obviously, thousands and thousands of kids love football. So it's it sort of, um, I suppose, from a starting point, from a start, from engaging them, from getting them to listen, you know, they're, they're already engaged before you even start, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's a nice way to lever yourself in because yes. it's something that everyone really, I mean, everybody in the world, I think, um, can associate, you know, you can associate with footballers because yeah. everyone's heard of football and footballers. So it sort of makes it easier for people to allow you into their life, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it also it also highlights the fact that, um, you know, on, on an educational level, it highlights the fact that here's a professional footballer, but he lost everything. So, you know, it can happen to absolutely anybody. Uh, it doesn't discriminate. And that's I think that's one of the things we make sure we highlight, that it doesn't, gamble addiction does not discriminate, you know, that with... We've had lots of celebrities that have gone through gambling addiction. We just had a piece the other week from one of the, I don't know if you watched The Chase. No, <laughs> I don't. I yeah, don't know what that is. All oh, right. It's, just, it's a very, very popular um, quiz programme on, on, on TV. And, and okay. he's, opened, he's opened up about his gambling addiction. Um, there, was, there was a very interesting documentary. I don't know uh, if you've heard of it. It's called Cleaning Up. It was on. No, I haven't. 80 minutes. Have you, you've heard of the actress Sher- Sheridan Smith? No. Okay, Sheridan oh, Smith, very, 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 very famous, very famous British a- actress. She's only about forty. Uh, Sheridan Smith, been in lots and lots of things. You, you, when you look up Sheridan Smith, maybe if know. I saw her photograph. Yeah, I, I was going to say, if you see her face, you know who it is. Well, the, the, one of the good things that came out probably about eighteen months ago is her her drama on BBC, um, which was called Cleaning Up, because she was a, mm-hmm. a cleaner, and it just kind of what it did, it portrayed. Um, women gambling so she was a, a woman uh, gambling addict and and that was good to see on national tv a drama we at literally telling people you this is this is not a male dominated industry you know th- uh, there's a 25 percent increase in women gambling now and she her her it showed you on her daily life in terms of getting getting in the car and opening her app and gambling away on the roulette gambling away at work you know the effect the, on the family dynamic dynamics with her daughter the effect of her relationship breaking up the effects of the Bailey's knocking on the door. That's that's what I wanted to see is something on, on national TV that really portrays what gambling addiction actually looks like. And that was really good. Mm. I've just Googled her. Yes, I, I recognise her face. Yeah. I just yeah. know her name. Yes, yeah. yes. E- excellent. That, excellent she was. Yeah. I'm going to look her up and see, um, have a little bit of more information about that. It sounds interesting. Now, really good. Mm. Tony, when you do these workshops, is it yeah. just you? Or do you have a team working with you? So what we've done, um, I accumulated a team of roughly, the, the whole team of Red Card is about 11 in terms of uh, website manager, in terms of obviously accountant, in terms of um, a couple of volunteers. And then we have five facilitators. Um, and over the last 18 months, and this stems back to um, my work with the Gambling Commission that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I, I started to realise, you know what, I, I want to really saw uh, adopt the lived experience model and 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 use that going forward so every person in my team now comes from a lived experience background so there's there'll be times where depending on the venue and depending on um time uh, because for instance in some schools you might get 45 minutes for a pshe lesson um, and then other schools will give you one and a half hours in the hall assembly 
Uh, other organizations will give you 90 minutes, two hours for, a, for a no time restriction, a full workshop. So it will depend on uh, the time and the client, uh, whether we use one facilitator or two facilitators. I see. And sometimes you, we use two just just as a, just to bounce off each other, um, which can be quite a bit of fun. Um, and obviously sometimes, a lot of the times I'll be delivering uh, on my own. And the facilitators, are they people that have also been through gambling addiction? Yeah, as I just said, yeah, our, our model, our team is people from all, all come from lived experience background. Aha, okay, okay, all right, I understand yeah. now. Yeah. And when you give these talks, is it, do you talk about what you've gone through, so it's more like a motivational speaker, or do right. you give advice as to recovery? recovery? Right. So I remember you said at the start, what does Tony do? So, yes, because I saw that you do so yeah. many things. So yes, that's why so, I'm asking. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh my goodness, I have to say to everybody, the list goes on and on and on. So, <laughs> and I want to yeah. tell people really, yeah. because so, you do so much that is good. Yeah. So there's a sort of two strands to my, to my um, uh, public work, I suppose. Uh, oh, one wow. is is the educational workshops with the red card team at different venues and schools etc and that's more on the educational side so it will be you know powerpoint it will address every aspect of problem gambling as i said before in terms of women and crime and mental health and suicide everything basically they are very educational very um we have video footage we have you know engagement from the from the participants and that's that's the, the educational side um but then there's another side where an organization may ask me to come in and do a personal talk uh, as i as i alluded to earlier my first talk in 2016 that you know that gala dinner that's when i realized yeah. Yeah, um the impact it has on people um so that is more on a personal level um I, I will touch upon one or two things about the industry and what what could be changed but generally speaking a personal talk is exactly what it says on the tin which is about my personal journey because i have to i think when i'm talking about um the last 20 25 years of, of my life i have to highlight how 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 the impact what impact it had on on me and my family uh, and i think it's really important that people get to hear um what what gambling addiction really looks like and, and the impact it can, it can have on various different people so sharing my story is um yeah i enjoy doing that i think it's cathartic i think it's a little bit therapeutic for me and i said as i said before i never thought back in 2014 when I was writing that book I never thought in a million years that I would be actually going out and, and sharing my story personally and, and publicly uh, so I've done obviously TV and I've done radios um, and lots of well probably quite a few podcasts now um, uh, yeah as, as I, I just done one with a, a podcast knocking down doors in America the other day uh, online yeah I saw, I saw a little bit of that yeah and I think um, they're the kind they're the kind of things that I like doing in terms of because it really raises awareness of what is uh, you know yeah. a, ser a serious issue and that's what I suppose my passion is in terms of continue to raise awareness um, because there is a still you know there is still a little bit of ignorance around gambling addiction and, and i think we have to sort of change that narrative uh, and obviously like i mentioned earlier uh, the gambling just to let everybody know the gambling act review of 2005 has just um finished finished on march the 31st and that involves everybody from the gambling commission to the government the dcms uh, and the operators and um yeah that's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next six to 12 months in terms of 
regulatory changes within the gambling industry. So, yeah, because we have to, we have to think about the next generation and we have to think about how we can um, make gambling safer. Yeah, I mean, apart from making it totally, um, I don't know, hide into oblivion, it, <laughs> it, 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 which is never going to happen. No, no. Um, But <clears throat> how do you do it? I really don't have the answer to that. Um, I think it sort of takes a lot of prisoners, which is a shame. Yeah. But I want to ask you, Tony, do you think about gambling? Um is there something within you that is it a daily struggle to keep above all of that what you've gone through or have you passed that sort of cathartic tunnel so to speak of despair yes i've def definitely passed that, that tunnel of despair i think um when i received um I think yeah, 2016, it might have been all 17, when we first got our £10,000 from uh, the lottery um, for the good causes. Um, since then, we've probably, because we've just received funding for another project, we're probably up to about 200000 total funding that the organisation has, has received. Now, as a CEO, obviously, I, I, I'm in, I have the bank account. Now, if that money was given to me 2000 <laughs> 12 13 uh, mm. you know i don't know how long it would have lasted maybe maybe a couple of months and i think that's when i realized that i've beat my demons because now we're not just talking about uh, running an organization we're not just talking about um myself being sustainable and financially stable and not having any debt we're not just talking about we're talking about also i've got a team to run uh, i've got people to pay in terms of facilitator fees and travel expenses, website management, all these different things that we have to pay for. Uh, and for me to be able to do that uh, over a six-year period to now um, tells me and everybody else that um, I'm trusted, I'm responsible, and uh, everything in terms of the financial side of things and in terms of beat my demons uh, have been conquered. It's a huge achievement. Yeah. It, you know, and when you look back, yeah. when you look back on your life, mm. would you change all of that? That's a great question, you know, because um, you mentioned at the start about destiny. Um, mm. And I thought that was really, really interesting because um, I suppose I, I could, in, in a way, my life as it stands today has, has been turned out perfectly because. I've realised my dream of being a professional footballer. I've had lots of great memories and highlights to share with the family. I've had nine years as a professional footballer. Um, yes, I lost the house and yes, I lost money. Um, but, you know, those things can be replaced. I didn't lose my life. Um, and so the second part of my life, so to speak, as we are today, is even yeah. better, is even better. And it's even more rewarding. And I'm not losing money and I am stable. Uh, and I'm doing something, you know, within society that's making a difference, that's making not only myself proud, but my daughter and my family proud. So I suppose if I had to go through what I went through to do what I'm doing today, and like you said, maybe that's destiny. Uh, and on the other side, it's, it's God's way of um, saying, right, this is what you've been through. This is going to be your new journey um, and, and, and get on with it. And it's exactly what I'm doing. 
And in a way, would you say this is like your second life, a chance? You know, when people have near-death experiences mm, and yeah. they say, you know, that was my old life. This is my new life. Would you say that was the case with you? Yeah, I would actually. I think I think I've I've been given a, an opportunity to, <clears throat> for, for unfortunately for thousands uh, that have been on the gambling addiction journey, their their life has, is in ruins. Um, whether it's divorce, whether it's um, suicide for some, unfortunately, uh, whether they've struggled to to overcome it and recover mentally, uh, whether they have broken down relationships with brothers. And, I've, I've spoken to people that haven't spoken to their brothers and sisters for six, seven, eight years because of what's happened. So all those things, none of those things have happened to me. So my family have supported me and we're as tight as ever. Uh, so it's like I've been given a separate second opportunity to make good of my life um, and to, you know, make a difference with, with it within society, which I never thought, you know, I would, I would have that kind of opportunity. So it is a it is a second coming for me. And um, I'm loving absolutely every every second of it. And um yeah, and I think the support is probably the biggest thing in terms of the, the people that God has brought into my life. Some amazing people that have supported me. You know, well, I'm here today talking to you. You're a supporter. You've been brought to me. Here I am. Uh, and we're having a chat. So, yeah, yeah. different different types of support. Incredible. I, 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 you really are an inspiration, Tony. What an incredible story. And I know you have a book. I mentioned it at the beginning. Red card, a bet you can win. Yes. Tell yeah. us, oh, you know that title? Yeah. Uh, when I read it, I thought, oh, my goodness, a bet you can win. And I, I've never gambled, I have to yeah. say. Um, mm. And I tell you, one of the reasons is because when I was young, we used to live near a pub in the countryside. Yeah. And there were people, you know, when they play those um Machine. Yeah. 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 And I used to I remember seeing all these people having their gin and tonic, and it was like a, a family pub. So I used to go in there with my grandfather, and he used to take me there. It was just so boring, but he was teaching me something because I'd see people just put all this money in, mm. and I thought then loads of money would come out, but nothing came out. And I just thought, what a waste of time. And um that actually stood me in good stead because I thought what if I'm not going to get anything back what's the point of doing it mm. so um but I do understand because you have that anticipation that something yeah. is coming back until you finally click well actually nothing's coming back so um but what would I, what would have happened if if you did win the jackpot when you put those coins in that's where you don't know how well that is the $64 million question. Exactly. Exactly. That's the point. That's the point. So as you said, you know, all of us, whoever we are, whatever our background is, have, you know, there's a possibility that we could all fall off that line. Yeah. So it's important, I think, to find your sole purpose. I think it's absolutely imperative that you're following your sole purpose because when you're following your sole purpose, your purpose is greater than anything else in your life. And then that sort of, I suppose it's that ocean of love that then spreads everywhere to your family, to your friends, to your children, to your partners. And it's something I think that once you dedicate your life, which it seems that you have, Mm -hmm. you can't have anything really 
bad return to you. You can only have good from now on. Yes. Um, I think the, uh, the, the path, the path is straight for me. Um, I know I remember you said at the start about people taking different pathways in life. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I took a certain pathway, uh, <clears throat> and, it, and, it, and obviously it was, it was through an illness. It was through an addiction, but I've took a, a, the pathway I'm on now. I, I see as clear and straight and I see <clears throat> light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and you mentioned about the book and I think the book, uh, yes, the book. Yeah. What is the book about? Tell us about um, <clears throat> about the book. So the, the 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 first book in 2015, Red Car, was was about obviously as I said before, raising awareness and sharing going public. That was about my my um, life with professional football and gambling addiction. But it ended in 2014. So Red Card Gambling Support Project. Uh, Tony Kelly as a public speaker. Uh, Tony Kelly as a CEO, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All those things hadn't happened. So. People were saying to me after that first book. You oh, know, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, 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 what, I understand now. I didn't yes. understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So people were wondering what what happened after yes. that. <clears throat> and that's when the idea came. Right. You need to make. You need to write a sequel. So we decided to do that, and we went with uh, Austin McCauley Publishers uh, again. Roughly about you know probably slightly less twelve months to uh, to write the second book and. Uh, Yes, it was published on April the thirtieth. Um, all all the outlets as usual. But this is this is um, a continuation of the first book, um, but it's taken in obviously to the present day. So people will get to realise, as I said earlier, that uh, out you know you can recover from adversity and trauma, and you can go on to live a sustainable and healthy and happy life, uh, which which is on which I'm doing. And I just wanted people to know that. You know, in terms of educational side of things and what I'm doing today to inspire people, to educate people, to raise awareness, uh, that's what I wanted to come out of the book. So that, you know, when people put the book down after, after reading, you know, the whole story, um, hopefully they'll feel inspired to say that, you know, for many, some people think all is lost. But no, it's not the case. If you if you seek help at the right time, if you talk to people, if you can find the strength and courage to talk to people and open up and have those conversations, uh, then you can get onto the road of recovery. Um, and I just wanted to show people what recovery looks like. And for me, it looks like this, but for others, it, it can look different and it can, it, but, but still be healthy and happy uh, within, within their lives. What a joyful story. You know, um, I know you have suffered and I know people in your life must have done as with all addiction it's yeah it's a, it's a family illness it's a family disease but to now be in this position that you are in now I think really you have been blessed um and it's a that's great the word I use yes that's the that's the word I use I like mm. that word blessed I mean there was times when you, you talked about rock bottom before there was a time when um me and my twin brother I think yeah it was in the book about when we um and this is where I'm in you know serious debt and, and mental health issues depression going on think thinking of a way out basically and we do and we talked one night about robbing a bank we talked about which bank it will be we talked about what weapon we would use we talked about the staff that would be on in the morning at doing a recce this is this is where gambling addiction can take you mentally and through mm. through, through god's intervention i never went down that road but i was close to it and I don't know what would have happened if I tried that robbery, ended up in prison, etc. Uh, but I wasn't meant to go down that road, and that's where I believe God's intervention, because I was at this—you know—I was in despair, didn't know where to turn. 
Yeah. And we and we would have been having a completely different conversation now. Exactly. For sure. But, you know, yeah. thank God that, you know, it was a sort of one of those moments, you know, I really believe that um, your life was opened up to grace and it's absolutely an amazing story. And I am so honoured for you to come today and talk to me and my listeners about it. And I truly hope that people out there who need the help after listening to you are not going to fall into despair and that out of every desperate situation, there is always that glimmer of hope. That's the word hope. Yeah, exactly. There is always hope. There is always. Now, what about people out there now, Tony, that um, are struggling with gambling? Where <laughs> addictions, where can they go? Well, th those that are in the UK, um, I would advise them to to, to contact uh, Red Car Gambling Sport Project and the, the web, all our contact details on the website. Um, and we can then, we can either have um, a, a private chat, a consultation chat, or we can signpost them to uh, treatment providers. And we can also give them okay. the uh, prevention tools that, that are in place that are out there in terms of, you know, as an example, you're know, blocking yourself from all gambling apps on your phone or your PC or your laptop, um, blocking software, um, bank blocking. So banking transactions can't come out of your bank account. There's, there's things that we can, that people won't know about that we can signpost them and, and, and give them the um, information about, because I always believe that also you have to, as hard as it is, by the way, and, and I, I appreciate how hard it is. Um, you have to be committed to change. You have to be committed to want to change yes. uh, for, for yourself and for your family. And sometimes you just, you have to use your own prevention tools as well as the professional help that's out there. Now, do you do any form of counselling for people or um, on a one-to-one -one basis at all? Uh, we, yeah, we, we have three of the um, members of the Red Card team are uh, counsellors and therapists. Depending on the location of if someone contacts us, we can refer them to that particular counsellor for assessment and obviously for continued therapy, whether it's CBT, whatever it is. So mm -hmm. we do do that, but there's also... Uh, if that's if in terms of location wise, if, if that's not appropriate, then we'll just signpost that person to um, what the bigger the bigger treatment providers such as Gamble Aware or Gamcare or um, National Problem Gambling Clinic, etc. And you know, as you know, we have listeners from all over the world. What would you, you know, what advice would you give to people out there wherever they are mm -hmm. um, to go? Where would where, what would be the first port of call? You know, whether they're in Timbuktu or I don't know the states or France. What would be the first port of call for anyone who has an addiction like that? Um, I think probably if it's if it's the UK, I'd probably go to, to the National Problem Gambling Clinic. There's a, there's a National Problem Gambling um, a helpline number which is which is national for the UK. I think that would probably be the first call to make. Uh, if you, if, if I'm not sure how it works at US, I have, obviously I have a couple of US promoters that are supporting me, but I'm mm. not sure how how. Um, I'm sure every country uh, must have. Yes, uh, they, will, they will have a yes, they will yeah. have a gambling helpline, and I think that's mm. the first port of call. And because from that, you you will then be put onto somebody who can then assess you and 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 give you the appropriate advice and appropriate treatment that is needed needed for you at that particular time. Um, but more importantly, 
um, I think you have to you have to speak to somebody before it spirals out of control. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's lots of people, we, we mentioned it earlier, about waiting until they reach rock bottom before seeking support. Yeah. Uh, so it's very important that you as, try your very, very hard as to find the strength to actually, it could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be your employer, it could be anybody, and just say to yourself, you know what, this is real, it happens to thousands of people, um, there's no shame in it, I'm going to go and talk to my manager, I'm going to go and talk to my dad, I'm going to go and talk to my sister, whoever it may be, and then... Once you've done that and got that off your chest, because that's what it is, it's the shame and guilt. Once you've got yes. that off your chest, then you're on the start. You've done you've done the, the first step, the most important step. You've done that. And that's really important is to actually, in a way, voice it. Yes. Because once you've put it out there into the light, so to speak, yeah. it loses half of its power, I think, the grip of it. Yes. Using good power, doesn't it? Definitely, definitely. Um, because it, it, and it's a, it's a, it, you'll find it's a massive weight off your shoulders once you once you go public to whoever that may be, someone that you can trust, someone close to you. Uh, but everything else after that, once you've acknowledged you've got a problem and once you've admitted to yourself that you've got a problem and you can portray that to whoever the, whoever you can trust and whoever's close to you, um, yeah. I think everything else after that will take care of itself. Um, so it's, that's that's the most important thing is that initial initial. And it's um, a journey, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a journey. It's something that you, as I said, I used the word committed before. It's something that you've got to be prepared to to uh, commit to, and and something that you've got to want to do within within your heart. Um, so yeah, definitely. So what's the website address? What's your um, organisation? Website, website is www kelly's red card consultancy.co.uk www.kelly's red card consultancy.co.uk um and if they if they google red card gambling sport project they'll find the website easy as well uh, i'm on twitter i'm on linkedin i'm on instagram and on facebook tony kelly so i'm very very easy to find uh, and i'm and i'm happy to you know if anybody just wants to have a chat you know I've, i get people calling me uh, parents calling me just just for some advice and, and i'm the type of person that will just have a chat and give advice um, free of charge. So, yeah, but don't be um, afraid to pick up the phone. As I said, the phone number's on the uh, website. And if you just want some advice or a chat, then that's not a problem. Okay. And even if people are in other countries, if they, you you know, with technology now, you're you're happy to talk to anybody, are you, Tony? Yes, definitely. Anybody. Um, I have a really good friend. I I will give her a shout, Catherine Townsend, who's a, an advocate in in Arizona in America who's been supporting me with the with the promotion of of the book Red Card. I bet you can win. Um, and I'm going to hopefully get to them. And obviously the guys that knocked that knocking down doors, the podcast guys. So I've had a lot of support from the US, which is absolutely fantastic. And I'm yes. hoping that in the next six months I'll get over there and meet those guys. That would be fantastic. Oh yeah, definitely. wouldn't that be absolutely yeah, amazing? Now, would. <laughs> that would be uh, that's that's a whole new road, I think. Yeah, in your destiny. I think oh, that would lovely. open a whole other world or two after yeah. that, for I'd, sure. I'd definitely love to get over. And, and, you know, we spoke about it, so I'm pretty sure, I'm hoping next six months I'll be able to get over there and uh, just not, and obviously meet them guys and also hopefully do some, um, you know, do some business out in the US. Yeah, why not? Why not indeed? Now, where can people find your book? Uh, Amazon is probably the main, main platform, but it's on Barnes & Noble and it's also, uh, it's online. 
It's at all the normal bookstores in the UK, Foyle's Books, it's on Waterstones, WH Smith, it's, it's pretty much everywhere. Um, but, it's everywhere. And, Amazon, is it and obviously, Amazon, obviously Amazon US and Amazon UK. Mm. Yeah. Is it two books? Uh, yeah. Is the first one still available? The, the first stop, first one is still available and will always be in print. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're both available, both on the um, Amazon platforms. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, before you go... I always ask my guests this for some words of wisdom, Tony. Mm-hmm. In, I don't know, in a few lines, something to help people to hold on to hope in these difficult times. Mm. What's your advice? To hold on to hope. Um, I think when we talk about um, all the issues that are going on around the world, when we talk about pandemics, when we talk about us as as individuals and and how we um, treat each other. My my advice to um, everybody out there that's listening is that whatever you go through, whatever it is, you know, you you will think to yourself that this is never going to end. You will think to yourself that, you know, um, I'm going to take certain drastic actions to end this. Uh, it could be any kind of issue that you're going through as an individual or as a family. But I would say that I have been through every single thing you could possibly, things that are not mentioned in this podcast that are in the book, such as my dad dying, such as my brother being murdered. Um, you will find out these things in the book. There is nothing that I haven't been through um, apart uh, as well as the gambling addiction of 20 odd years. Um, so when I stand here you know, talking to you guys, I say to people that, you know, never, ever lose hope in, in terms of whatever you've been through. Um, because, you know, I'm testimony that I've been through everything that any human being could possibly go through. Um, but I'm still here talking to you guys. So I think I think hope is a big word in terms of um, future. So that's what I would say. Never lose hope. Thank you, Tony. Really, sincerely, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Mimi. I've really, really, really enjoyed it. And uh, thank you to the listeners as well. Oh, and come back again and tell us, you know, in a while, come back in a few months and tell us what you're up to and your new projects that are going on. Um, And it's, you know, it's a really absolutely fantastic cause. And I wish you simply all the best in your life and in helping people to really find the light in their life. Yes. Well, thank you again. Uh, and I'll definitely come back definitely in a, in a six months time and uh, give you an update on where the journey has taken me. So wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Really thank it. you. All right. Take care, Tony. Take care. God bless. Bye. 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 Tony Kelly. Absolutely extraordinary story. And again, the power of faith shines through that no matter what any of us are going through there is always that glimmer of hope thank you so much for joining me today it's always a pleasure to be with you until next time take care and lots of love thank you for listening to secrets for an inspirational life brought to you by your host mimi novik please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik, 
and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website www.miminovic.co.uk